Good morning, church. Good morning. Our first reading comes from the book of Psalms. It is a song of both love, longing and gratitude. Notice the way our needs are named, not just spiritually, but in the very flesh and blood, our thirst for God's presence and our gratitude for the rich feast God offers us in the privacy of our homes and as we gather in the sanctuary. Listen for the word of God in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. O oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you to Stephen and Dan and all of our soloists for that beautiful, beautiful offering. Here now, the second lesson as it comes to us from Ephesians 4, beginning with the first verse, selected verses. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us, each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love 
we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Open us, O God, to your word, that what is heard today might lead us into that growth you would have us engage in and send us out into the world to be your body, your hands and feet, your love. And may all God's people say, Amen. While I was away these last two weeks, I was so immensely grateful for everyone who picked up my work in my absence, especially Mark, who handled all of the pastoral care, and for Jessica Place and Jeff Snell, who led us in their preaching. Thanks to live stream, I was able to worship with you even from afar, which is such a blessing. I really appreciated Jessica's message that pointed to the incarnation, how God's love isn't detached or esoteric. Instead, like a shepherd who watches the flock, God was and is with us on the ground, with us in our needs and our wanderings and our pain and in our joy. I loved that message. And then Jeff's wonderful message just reinforced that for me as he shared the humble, practical, embodied ways our faith can manifest itself, just as the beloved Fred Rogers showed us in the patterns of his own life. I find it funny, or maybe providential, but I submitted my bulletin information for this day long before I knew what Jessica or Jeff was going to preach about. And little did I know that I would be picking up where they left off, exploring the questions that they began. What does embodied faith look like? What does embodied faith look like? This morning, scriptures offer wisdom Psalm 63, which Mike read so beautifully, Psalm 63 lifts up King David's humble, honest cry to the Lord. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Notice David doesn't say, my mind is philosophically curious, or I'm concerned about perfecting the tenets of the faith. Instead, David, who has all the power in the universe, humbly 
confesses his vulnerability. I thought of David's cry when I heard Simone Biles' brave and honest decision to name her own vulnerability instead of pretending that she had all the power and was in just fine. Humility about our needs, humility about our needs is an act of faith, the Bible says. For only when we name our hunger can we be fulfilled. Only then can we with King David proclaim, my soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. That's the first lesson from today. We are faithful when we turn to God with our true need, not pretending to be above the pain of the world, not presuming that we are somehow immune from our embodied human need. And the second lesson is this. We really are all in this together. Really. The letter to the Ephesians presses us to do our part to embody mature faithfulness, not as a contest to win, but because other people need us to. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, these much more than perfected doctrine express true faith, mature faith, a faith that has nothing to prove. Instead, whatever our unique and varied gifts, and we all know how disparate and varied our gifts are, Whatever our unique gifts, we lay them at the table for the sake of the whole community. We offer what we can and who we are, our real selves. And, and this, we, we can't afford, Ephesians says, we can't afford to be tricked by deceit and misinformation, not only because we'll get hurt, but because the whole community, the whole body will suffer. It's not just about us. I thought of this passage when I heard the impact of misinformation about the COVID vaccine. Now the Delta variant is spreading wildly and it is so unnecessary. The scripture tells us being joined and knitted together is an act of faith. An act of faith, not an act of weakness. And it's strengthened by truth spoken in love, Ephesians says. God provides for our needs through one another. And the body of Christ, the church, this church, this particular group of people, this particular body must embody God's love to the community. That's what we're here to do.
these two lessons, that embodied faith means naming our need and that it means caring for each other, these came home to me in very powerful ways in recent days. I am not one to um, necessarily uh, be emotional, but I have to tell you that these last 10 days have been among the most poignant of my entire life, my entire life. As many of you know, on July 21st, we welcomed our first grandchild into the world, Gemma Skye, daughter of our daughter, Annie, and her husband, Spencer. Now, I know that we're not the first ones in this room to be grandparents. <laughs> But I was startled. I was startled at, at how powerful this was, how, how liminal and vulnerable a space it was. Annie's childbirth was hard. I, I labored for 36 hours. She only had 20 before her C-section. <laughs> yeah. And she's doing well, thanks be to God. And like every newborn, the fragility of this little human body is astonishing, needing to be swaddled and held and changed and fed, needing to be taught how to feed, how to learn to sleep, needing to connect her senses to the world outside of the womb. It sights, it smells, it tastes, it's touch. And for John and I to be there with our only child as she welcomed her first child was such a profound blessing. And if that weren't enough, that same day, that same day, John's only sibling, Laura, found out that she would be receiving a long years needed one in a million chance kidney transplant that day. Her doctors were astonished that a match was found. It was that needle in a haystack, they said. Astonished. And within 24 hours of getting the news, Laura was in the hospital receiving this life-saving kidney. And before the night was over, her new kidney was already working, already providing the cleansing breath that her body had almost forgotten was possible. She's doing better than she has in years. Our families, physical 
personal vulnerability was never so obvious, so tangible, so real as it was in those two days. And then, and then our vulnerability became clear in our church family. Just days after these gifts of life, we had an incident here at the church that shook us to the core. On Monday, Sarah was in the office when an unhoused person started settling in near the gate at the side porch. As is the pattern, Sarah called Pastor Mark, who was in his office, so he could check on the person's safety and connect him to appropriate resources. And I am dead serious when I say there is no one better equipped for that than Mark Jones, who knows every nonprofit and civic resource in this entire region, truly. So Mark went out, as he always does, and greeted the man at a safe distance, offering him help. And then what happened next was horrific. Sarah, who saw this from her office, says the man stood up and began yelling and gesturing wildly at Mark. He then took both hands and pushed Mark hard in the chest, and I watched as Mark fell on the ramp. The man was screaming racial slurs at Mark and then kicked Mark in the head. Sarah called 911 and the police and paramedics came right away. The paramedics bandaged Mark's bleeding knees. The police arrested the man but then let him off with a citation. I'm hoping Mark will share more next week when he preaches not only how unsettling it was, but why it matters to all of us here, all of us. But for now, let me just name out loud this very real painful vulnerability, not just of the unhoused and the mentally ill, but the vulnerability of our staff and all who try their best to care for them and get hurt along the way. And if that weren't enough, I feel like a Ronco commercial, but wait, there's more. <laughs> As many of you know, on Thursday morning, one of our beloved members who was in worship here this last Sunday called to let us know he'd tested positive for COVID. He had done absolutely everything responsibly. He was vaccinated. He had no symptoms. He wore an N95 mask indoors the entire time. The only time he wasn't masked was outside on the side porch. And by the way, we're not having side porch today for everybody's safety. On Monday, when he started to get just minimal symptoms, he got tested just to be safe. And then on Thursday, he got the news and immediately let us know I'm glad to say he's doing very well. He's doing fine. And his partner has tested negative, which is great news. But this moment was a wake-up call to our whole community. None of us is invulnerable. None of us is invulnerable. 
which we were reminded of again the next day when yet another member of our church community tested positive for COVID. Not someone in worship last week, but another member nevertheless, someone who was vaccinated. None of us is invulnerable, and if we pretend we are, the whole body suffers. The deceit and trickery of misinformation hurts us all. And I know these aren't the only vulnerabilities here. These last days have been so tender for so many in our church family. For one, a dear friend with pancreatic cancer who is praying for a miracle and now is in hospice. For another, someone whose beloved family member grew suicidal and entered treatment. For another, the ongoing grief of a sibling who died far too young. For another, a spouse who is hospitalized, whose outcome is still unclear. And many of you could add your own prayers. All of us. And with King David, we raise our lament to the Lord. Oh God, you are my God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And if that were the last word, if that were the last word, we would be lost. But instead, Instead, with King David, we pray. Therefore, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life itself. My lips shall praise you. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. We are here, whether literally in this room or providentially through live stream together. We are here in God's sanctuary. We are here to be nurtured again with God's steadfast love because we need it. We are here to hear with our ears the music that touches our spirits in ways that words alone can't begin to touch. We're, we're here to see with our eyes these windows that tell the story of God's glorious presence, not just now, but through all of the ages past. We're here to be washed in the waters of baptism, the tangible, 
refreshing, cleansing water, God's gift of welcome home, no matter how young or old we are, no matter, <laughs> no matter how soiled or clean we are. We are here to be welcomed at this table to be nurtured in the rich feast of grace, literally to taste and see how gracious the Lord is. We come here. We come here to be real with our vulnerability, not to pretend. And we come here to remember that we're in it together because none of us can do this alone. We're part of a family, the body of Christ. We're here to care for each other with the joy of newborns and with the grief of loss and with the hurt of our failure and with the hope of the future. We are here, each one of us, in our very real bodies. And we come to encourage each other to grow up in faith, to build up the body, to come before the Lord in our needs, and then sustained and cleansed and refreshed to go back out into that parched and weary world equipped with the gifts of God for everyone.